My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back. I hope this new episode of Transmissions finds you well. How have you been since we last spoke? I have been pretty good myself. I went camping recently uh, and spent the official start of spring out in the desert, which was very fantastic. I think I intended to have some sort of meditative, mystic time out there, but really it ended up just being a weekend devoted to drinking beers with my buddies and staring at the moon and listening to music, which was A good reset on its own, it turns out. Today on the show, Ryan Walsh of Hallelujah the Hills. He has appeared here on Transmissions previously to discuss his great Van Morrison book, Astral Weeks, A Secret History of 1968. Today he joins me to talk about, well, we get into some more Van Morrison talk, actually, picking up where uh, we left off last week with Dan Behar in terms of Van talk. Uh, But Ryan and I also get into the paranormal in general, and we talk a lot about the Beatles. Because on April 1st, well, all I want to say is head over to ESPTOLS.com. That's E-S-P-E-A-T-L-E-S.com tomorrow as of when this podcast first airs. After April 1st, you can head over to that website and get a look at this weird, obscure uh, Beatles project related to this kind of vanished occultist, uh, HX New Haven. Before we get into my talk with Ryan, uh, we've got a word here from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash aquariumdrunkard. Uh, The best way to think about therapy is through uh, the idea of thinking about maintenance. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups at the doctor and go to the gym to maintain our physical wellness We do chores regularly to avoid a giant mess of a house and gross bugs. 
going to therapy is, is like this. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness, and it helps prevent bigger issues down the line. Going to therapy does not mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing uh, in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Aquarium Drunkard listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash aquarium drunkard that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash aquarium drunkard we thank better help for sponsoring the show all right up next my conversation with ryan walsh of hallelujah the hills i want to encourage you if you dig the show and its archive please consider leaving a five-star rating or a review We appreciate you helping us connect with new listeners, however you do so. And if you want to take your support a step further, check out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. Okay, let's get into it. Here I am with Ryan Walsh of Hallelujah the Hills. You're listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I appreciate you being here with us. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here once again on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great. It's great to have a return guest. I was looking back and it's like we talked uh, many years ago at this point or not many, many, maybe it was many years ago, right? Years, years slid by. Yeah, I just noted that it was like four years since the asked for weeks book came out and everyone was like wait what four years and it's like the pandemic too really slid under everybody's radar and and you know 2018 was a long time ago 2018 was a long time ago and uh it feels like a lifetime ago at this point what a weird what a weird thing i mean when people talk about that ryan when people talk about the the way because i don't think it's just there are factors, right, that it makes sense why people feel like time has is behaving oddly. But right. I I wonder I wonder if you have a feeling about that. Does does time seem does does time seem especially weird lately in terms of the way things are going? Is it because we had two years of our lives that are sort of like didn't happen but happened intensely? You know, what 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 do you think it is? Yeah, it's like that missing time conundrum in all those alien abduction stories. It's like, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I think once we hit like the second, once we had had like two of the same months, oh, we've had two Aprils in quarantine, it became everything collapsed. And it was like, I'm usually very good with like, oh, that happened this year, that happened this year. And then I kind of did a collapse where now I'm not sure it's a little mushy. I don't know. I feel like we'll always use it as a dividing line pre and yeah. post pandemic for the rest of our lives. I think that it's going to be like an AD or BC yeah, AD yeah. kind of thing a little bit. I really think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Do you, I mean, I have more, 
like I have other weird thoughts about it to some degree too. You know what I mean? Because like I think that the with online with online life being a component of our lives, right? We yeah. see the sort of like the churn, the online churn of information to where a thing happens and for a few minutes it means something it mean it might mean it might be the only thing that means anything for a minute. Right. And then it goes away almost completely. And when that happens hundreds and hundreds of times in a row, right. <laughs> I think it fucks with our heads. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think our brains were ready for the internet. Like, I don't know about you, but I I lasted till about age 16 or 17 without the internet. Uh, being part of my life and I'm always kind of grateful for that that I have one foot in each kind of era what is that what is the yeah so like uh, there's a I'm 37 so I've heard it referred to as like the organ trail generation or zenial uh-huh, yeah. like 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 part gen x part you know uh millennial I didn't have like an internet connection at home until I was into high school yeah like like yeah. I said Maybe, maybe actually, yeah, maybe seventeen or eighteen. I could go on the internet at um at like school, maybe or may well, maybe not even at school at first, but at my dad's like work, I could go yeah. and download images of Star Wars action figures. I remember waiting once, like you know, twenty five minutes for this reveal of like a Gamorrean guard action figure or something that I was like, all right, now I know what to look for, I guess. You know? um, but it's, yeah, it is, it is, it's weird, right? Cause the internet, the internet has fundamentally changed the way we think about time. I think um, mm. certainly it's, it's like a vortex in some ways. I don't know. Yeah. I think if you, just speaking from uh, someone who makes things, you know, that, that churn that you talk about where you're going to be, the topic for two days first of all it's hard and it's expensive to be that topic for two days but i just think it's such a losing game to even try for it and just i think you should just make stuff that you love and that will be waiting for people whenever they do find it and yeah. you don't and you can't flip out about is it is it on everyone's uh, um you know minds the week it's released i think that's pretty damaging yeah, I th- I think so. I think about how um something that we do at Aquarium Drunkard is like the idea is hopefully, right? When people ask us like, "Hey, can I write about this record for you guys?" Uh, you know, because of the way writers are conditioned, you know, and you're somebody who who has like a foot in both worlds, right? You make art, you you are a cultural writer as well. So you know, you know this thing that I'm about to say very intimately, but a lot of people will say, hey, you know, this thing actually came out like last November. So I know that maybe there's no point in writing about it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at Aquarium Drunkard, we have a, an, an explicit stance that it's like, no, you can definitely write about something that came out last November. You can also write about something that came out in 1972. You know, you could also write about something that came out in 1994 if that's what it, you know. Yeah. But that, that, that timeliness peg, right? I mean, yeah. it, I can't imagine th- what it must feel like to be somebody in a band who makes something and puts their whole thought and everything, everything into it, all the resources, all the, you know, all the, everything it takes to birth a thing, a mm-hmm. piece of art. 
and then have it come out and just know like well if it if people don't connect with it in the first 10 seconds of its existence they will never connect with it you know that's like such a strange and yeah. sad thing but i mean it doesn't seem like that's really you don't believe that right no i fight very hard to not believe that because i know that's just not good for anyone's brain i mean yeah. and also i think about people you know uh, publications that do have that policy about timeliness it's insane to think no matter what the creation is in the first week of you hearing it you will have the definitive take on it and yeah. you know and that take is only going to apply to you your know, first dozen listens i mean to bring it somewhere where maybe we're interested think about how everyone's mind changed about let it be this year 50 years later 50 years yeah. later we we get this data dump and it changes everybody's mind about yeah what good about it how it was done it was you know so you gotta play the i think you gotta play the long game okay even, even though they were beloved every breath they took in the instance but well well yeah absolutely absolutely what 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 was your what was your uh get back watching experience like how did, how did you how did you ingest it uh well i <laughs> i joked online that i didn't have disney plus and i was taking pictures of my own tv from outside my house saying, <laughs> saying i was looking into someone else's house but that was just for internet laughs i watched it in the comfort of my living room over kind of like maybe yeah three or four days mm -hmm. and it was so beautiful um i was never bored i wanted it to be longer and it was uh, i also joked it was like being a paid unpaid intern for the beatles but that's what you want i mean you were truly yeah. immersed in and the first practice of my band after most of us had seen it was so fun because we were like can you believe they taught each other their new songs the same dumb way we do <laughs> you know yeah. it was such yeah. it was such a like inspiring thing like yeah ever everyone's shit is not good until it is yeah absolutely absolutely and and to see them just dealing with the same exact rigmarole and wrote just like yeah we have to figure a thing and and then they're talking about you know filming at someplace else and they're like well but that means we'd have to do this and this and this and you've got one bandmate who's just uninterested in any of that shit then you got right Ringo who's just kind of there for whatever you got John who's new he's got his his Yoko with him and you're like what's going on here there's some Hari Krishna guy in the corner you know it's just sort of like yeah despite the fact that it's beat the Beatles the greatest rock band of all time the band that defined what a rock band really is in so many different ways you know you're like oh there are some universal parallels that are just they're just there they exist yeah. you know yeah, yeah. and to, to just kind of show everybody that i think is something that helps people i think it's a real confidence boost for people who think they can't because they're basically both the movie and the album is like a big trash heap and you're just pulling stuff out of it until you have finally just just very small few things that are kind of perfect yeah yeah did you when when let it be naked came out in the i don't remember was that 2003 maybe something like that yep yep when that came out did you did you did you listen to it was that a I, was that something i do remember listening to it because um outside of a few moments those maudlin strings are hard to take i mean nothing can make me like 
the long and winding road. I think that is a, I, I really dislike that song. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to let's, we're, we can go ahead and say it because the Beatles are probably going to be fine. Even, even with you and I saying this, but yeah, that's a dog shit song. That's a terrible song. <laughs> it's, it's so goofy and just like the, yeah. And to think he thought it was like a, or he wrote it very close to let it be, which is maybe trying for a same ballpark kind of thing, but is night and day. Yeah. So effective and so emotional and and um stirring. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So but when that came out, I remembered this thing of being like, oh wow, there's kind of like a cool rock record at the at the core of this thing, you know? And that's obviously yeah. So much of what we see in in Get Back is is the sort of like rough and tumble, uh we're we're getting back to our uh to our our roots, you know, we're gonna play Chuck Berry songs and yeah, like try to make each other laugh and stuff, but, but, but you know, it really was. I think about how, as of the time of this recording, there's a new Batman movie in the theaters, and I haven't gone to see it. You know, despite a considerable amount of no- love for the Batman character, I guess, um, because I I read that it was three hours long, and I'm like, there's no, there's no way. Like, how can I sit in a theater? for three hours and watch this thing. And then I contrast that about, you know, get back where it's like, I would bring a sleeping bag and a, and a blankie to the, you know, and a pillow to, to the theater and watch a 12 hour get back. You know what I mean? Like I, I, the, the difference, I remember when it was announced that Disney was going to be involved and that Peter Jackson, you know, was making this for Disney. I remember thinking like, well, Peter Jackson's like, you know, he's pretty good, I guess. Like, that that gives me some... That's interesting. It's an interesting approach. But I just remember being very convinced uh, in that cynical way that it's so easy to be sometimes online or whatever. Um, I remember just being so convinced that there that it was... Disney was going to somehow make it... It was going to try to clean this movie up. It was going to try to mm-hmm. clean the story of the Beatles up, you know? Because at this point... We have lots and lots of examples of Paul McCartney coming in and sort of like sweetening up the historical narrative and and, right. and really putting a, a nice tidy bow on everything, you know? And so right. I was convinced that that's what this was going to be. And what it was was so much better, so much more interesting, so much more enjoyable, so much more engaging because it wasn't any of that. It didn't, it complicated the narrative. It didn't, it didn't straighten it up. It made it more real, you know? And that it was really something... And for a couple days, everybody on Twitter was just hanging out talking about the Beatles, and that was pretty fun, I have to say. Yeah, and it was it was like no one was fighting about it. Everyone was just enjoying everyone's observations. It was really sweet. It was. Um, yeah, I was very fond of that, like week or two on Twitter. I mean, imagine if Disney had like removed all the cigarettes and they're just lifting their fingers. To- I mean, I, I'm convinced. <laughs> There was they they managed to get a like bad words. I mean, not that there's no swearing on the Disney Plus app or whatever. I'm sure I'm sure there is, but right. you know, it, it really was like it, I mean, and then just like on the superficial level, right? Like it just looked so cool. Everybody's outfits were so cool. I mean, when Billy Preston shows up, you're like, yeah, this dude is yeah. ice cold, you know? Uh, yeah, there's a way to watch it. Watch it that's largely like about fashion. There's a couple different ways to watch it, or different people to enjoy it, which I really appreciated. Yeah, 
I think it's the only Disney release where the one of the main characters is for a time on heroin. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people don't know this, but the Hunchback of Notre Dame, yeah. Oh, right. Quasi- Quasimodo was strung out the entire time, actually. A lot of people don't. Just the, the deep heads know that, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm not a hunchhead. Yeah, you're a... Yeah, uh, those of us in the... In the Hunchhead community, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty well known. Well, so, so you brought up your your great book about Van Morrison, and uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that Van Morrison has been an interesting person to uh, mm. observe over the last um, the last couple of years. Yeah, I I want to run a statement by you and get your take on it as somebody who really, really, uh, you know, understands, and I think is captivated by Van Morrison's work much in a similar way uh, to me. Sure. But but when when the early, you know, Vax lockdown comments kind of started coming out of Van Morrison, a friend of mine named Joe Maynard on Twitter, who is great, he's a great dude, he really introduced me to a lot of good ECM kind of jazz and stuff like that. Um, somebody who uh, I'm very thankful for his, his recommendations. But, um, he said something that cracked me up so deeply, and then I found myself struck by the profound truth of it. And he said, anybody who has engaged with the work of Van Morrison deeply has long since reconciled themselves to the fact that he hates us all and wants us dead. And so therefore, <laughs> none of this should surprise us at all. Um were you surprised by Van Morrison's? Can you be surprised by Van Morrison? He well, he did surprise me. Yeah, I mean, this was a new gear he found. Um, I would just first of all, I would just say I think this is total armchair psychology, but I think it's more of a self hatred uh, than you know any of the fans. I just think there's some could be deep dislike of some part of himself that that. Um, makes him kind of hurt people or say dangerous or dumb things. And the truth is he always, he appears to have always been this way. I mean, one of the most interesting things about people's reactions to my book and for your listeners who haven't heard of it or read it, it basically breaks down an exile year that Van had very young in Boston, where he's trying to figure out how to get from Brown Eyed Girl to Astral Weeks. And he's basically backed up by all these Boston teenagers. And it's really unlikely. Oh, he's on the run from the mob. And so that's normal, normal, yeah, normal, normal, stuff. like all, all stuff that everybody goes through when they're his <laughs> age, you know. But, you know, people read it that um, uh, love him and people read it who don't like him at all or loathe him. And I found it was kind of a Rorschach test where people were like, you really captured a genius or like, Thank you for documenting what an insufferable asshole he is, because the truth is he's both. And a lot of most people are, I don't know almost anyone who's just one thing, you know, and hopefully, you know, those kind of extreme polarity, that's, he's a hard person probably to be around and to be close to and to be a fan of. And I was asked to, when the full album came out, the LA Times asked me to sort of review it. And it was a depressing task to take on, but, um, I did it. I mean, I just felt it was full of almost like, I almost like I would love, uh, let me, let me undo my legacy a little bit 
and let me let my worst instincts instincts take over. Yeah. And you know, there's that's that's sad to see. You don't you don't take joy in that, I don't think. Yeah, that's right. You know, um in February of twenty twenty, uh my wife Becky and I went to Las Vegas to see Van Morrison. So it was like I think I I saw I I saw Terry Riley that same month. So like those were like my last two concerts, you know, before mm-hmm. like the the lockdown. Of course, have since seen stuff and you know, thank yeah. thank goodness. But for a while there, you know, that was that was sort of it, you know. Yeah. And and that Vegas Van Morrison show was interesting because his dissatisfaction emanates like an aura off of him at times you know what i mean and uh i'm much more prone to mystical thinking now than i even was then you know the pandemic had that effect for me i guess on one way or another but you would see this agitation and this just inarticulate rage at things and then you would see it loosen for just a second at certain moments right and i walked away from that concert thinking that there's just something so human about that and so exact he's like a you're right when you'd say rorschach test right because you can Mm -hmm. project on the van so much you know um but i don't i don't know I wrote because I reviewed his 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 previous record previous to this last one. Which what, what was it called? Was it called like Untitled Record Project or something? No, that's the one I where that's the one I reviewed. The one before that is uh, uh, um, Three Chords oh, in the Truth. Thank you. Yes. Well, yeah. So I I reviewed that one, um, and uh, and I liked it. You know, it it wasn't like it's not um it's not my favorite Van Morrison record. You know, but but it was like a. You know, he seems like he's having a good time, you know, mm-hmm. or, or for sure. the most part, you know. Yeah. Now, there are just and have always been petty grievances just right at the surface of Van right. Morrison. He's never, yeah. ever, ever held back. You know, everybody ripped him off. Everybody stole from him. Right. Everybody owes him. Everybody right. has always owed him. I'm right. reading. I, I, I just recently finished this Bill Flanagan book about U2. It's called U2 at the End of the World. It's a really yeah. good rock book because back then writers could just hang out with the rock stars for like nine years and just then write a book about it, you know? So it's just kind of nuts to imagine. But Van Morrison at one point shows up and he's pissed off that U2 stole all of his, stole his sound, you know? Really? Yeah. 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 And he, but he said the same thing about Bruce Springsteen or he said the same thing about everybody. Everybody has stolen from Van, you know, and taken. And, uh, yeah. And and that has he's just never once held back on that stuff. Um and yet at the start of the pandemic I listened to the common one and inarticulate speech of the heart mm-hmm. and I really that whole stretch of 80s records. Um I listened to it nothing but for a few weeks. You know what I mean? Um Yeah, the 80s are good. The 80s era of Van is not always not always talked about, but it is incredible. There's Especially some incredible stuff in there. Summertime in England, the song alone, which is like 16 minutes off of Common One, is 
an unqualified masterpiece of of recording of songwriting of vocal performance that is yes. like nothing else and he does get he deserves all the credit like you know part of what i did was try to figure out how many people are owed for the genius of astro weeks and the answer is it's a lot yeah but, you know yes. but that that's an example of him proving no i can do it too it's it's pretty remarkable um but uh yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. He's he he's always been that way. Like for instance, one of the things people like to point that he has a sense of humor are the revenge tapes. Mm -hmm. Now these are tapes he owed Bang Records after he, he went to Warner Brothers. They said you owe us like thirty-one new compositions, and he recorded nonsense songs in an hour. Do you like ringworms? Do you want a Danish? And they're absurd, and people love them for how absurd they are. Yeah. But I, you know, one of the things kind of epilogues I wrote online after the book came out was um, the secret to those recordings are how mean they are because Burt Burns, the, the producer and owner of Bang Records, had recently died, and he's making fun of Burt Burns in some of these nonsense songs, yeah. and he knows these songs go to his widow. Yeah. And so it's like even the most fun thing Van Morrison has ever generated has this underbelly that's uh really <laughs> unsettling yeah 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 which makes him he's a, which makes him a difficult i mean he's he is he's the for me at least he's the the categorical definition of a problematic fave you know what i mean because yeah, it's yeah, like yeah because like the 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 immense beauty of us like i like i became really obsessed with that song rayvon john dunn um which there is apparently, and I know you're somebody who is no uh, stranger to like knowing of the existence of something, uh, Van Morrison rarity, and really wanting to track it down. You know, yeah. there's apparently like a 40 minute version of that of that really? song where he he just is free associating these sort of like, you know, in the song alone. I mean, he's just bouncing around from like these sort of like various occult references and the 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 you know theosophy and all of the various van stuff you know that gets kind of kind of mixed up and he's just rattling it off and i just i want to know what else is there what what else is happening over the other you know uh 30 you know seven minutes or 35 minutes or whatever it is right you know? like it, it's i truly i, I want to know you know and the fact is he knows fans want to know is i find it curious that someone who obviously was uh a little bit dinged by no touring during the pandemic yeah. you could tell some of that was driven by like this is how i make my money which is a very valid complaint but um for someone who why wouldn't people are would love the bootleg series for van morrison yeah. and bob dylan has given everybody the roadmap here's how you do it people uh -huh. love this yeah and, and it is very strange to me uh at no period because he has different rights to each period of his career but at, he's done kind of nothing it is really weird to think about right like what is it that is that's got him hung up i mean who who knows it's it's hard to say i mean i want to say he's a perfectionist to some to some degree but i don't think that's accurate i don't think that's accurate you know so i don't know i don't know what it is i mean there's a yeah this the new the new triple album latest record project proves he's not yeah I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's it's just a song remember that there's one song where he's just like railing at the listener to 
not put anything into this. This is just a song. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like the um, the archivist at Warner Brothers, there's one existing Astro Weeks outtake. It's called Train. It's like 10 minutes long. And I was allowed to hear it for research. But um, uh, all they need is written permission from Van to include it on some deluxe version. And yeah. he's, he won't allow it. Yeah, I mean, look, someday I'm sure... He'll probably listen to this podcast. He'll hear you and I talking. He'll he'll come on to set the record straight, and I'll, I will welcome him with open arms. I <laughs> I say that halfway halfway joking, obviously, but of course, if Van Morrison said, "Hey, I want to come on your podcast," I'd say, "Sure thing, Van. Let's do it." Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, you, you, I mean, and I, it's 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 hardly like the point of our conversation, but I do want to pop back to it because I think you're right when he was talking about you know like the lockdown and the way it was affecting his ability to tour and make money and stuff. I mean, obviously there's like sort of the, you know, oh yeah, of course it's your job, you know, but he also brought up very good points about it. It's a lot of people's jobs and it's a lot of people who not, not, not just musicians. And, and I did think that his, at least initially, it didn't seem like his, um, his, his statements were quite as like, they, I, I, I understood where he was coming from more at first. You know what right, I mean? Like right, I kind of was right. like, yeah, look, I mean, this is clearly like the right. the the way that the pandemic has has not entirely, but certainly just destroyed a lot of people's livelihoods. People who especially are involved in the live music industry, and and I don't just mean bands on the road, them of course, but also yeah, people who work in ticketing and people who own venues and and people and people run the front of house and sound guys and all these other people you know um i was like yeah you know he's he's making some he's making some fine and valid points there and then of course it just kind of descended into some other stuff and now once you start hanging out with eric clapton you're definitely like "Eh, i don't know about this now so yeah a strange thing well, there was this argument going around or maybe it was a counter argument i I got a lot the la times thing i wrote generated (laughs) A lot. I I wasn't prepared for how much kind of uh, anger was going to come my way, which yeah. it did. And um, but some people were like, "How dare you read into the lyrics of these songs that this is his belief?" And my counter argument was like, "Well, listen, he sings he doesn't like the lockdown, and then he's actually suing the government of Ireland on that cause. So that's that would be like if Randy Newman sang short people and then started some." hate campaign against short people outside of the song in real life it's like yeah yeah doing both you kind of have to i think we can safely say this is his actual opinion yeah it's like if nick cave murdered a bunch of people <laughs> you know and then was like staggerly <laughs> doesn't songs. yeah they're just m- songs they're just songs man it's like well yeah i mean but th- you did also murder those people you know and you'd be like well yeah i know but you know artists we're artists we have to be allowed to to break the rules um <laughs> hey you're listening to aquarium drunkard transmissions we'll be right back but first a word from our sponsor are you curious about the world but also want to be surprised and even moved? Do you demand skepticism, but also want to leave space for wonder? Radiolab experiments with sound and storytelling, allowing science to fuse with culture and information to sound like, well, music. Join hosts Jada Boomrod, Lulu Miller, and me, Latif Nasser, for an experiential investigation that explores themes and ideas through a patchwork of people, sounds, and stories. You can listen to Radiolab wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
Van's just like he's such a strange dude, but your book was 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 so great, and it was so much fun to engage with, and it did feel like such a. It, it got me thinking, and 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 very curious what your um, you know, if you could, you you mentioned it a little bit earlier, sort of like uh, time lapse stuff in regards to like UFO encounters and things like that, missing time rather. Right. Um, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your own interest in like the the paranormal, as it were. How did how did that develop? Sure. Uh, how did that start off? I really think it's probably like um, as far as noticeable roots. I would say those endless series of time life books that would be mailed to your house, or you'd find at the library or at a yard sale that just was cataloging every category: ghosts. UFOs. And then you had Unsolved Mysteries, which I, I just loved that show. Yeah. And then, I mean, this was perfect for the, my development as a human. Then when I got a little older as a teenager, suddenly X-Files was there. And so it was these like perfect little gateways. So I've always been interested in that. But I've also, I will say, I've always tried to, I've tried to hold in my heart a Scully and a Mulder. Where, and, and I've experienced things I can't explain but I also try to, you know, I try to just, I don't think, I think there's a lot of value in, in thinking about both options. One, one must have an inner Scully. One must have an inner Mulder. We need them to exist. That's why the show, <laughs> I don't know how you feel. I don't know how you feel about Star Trek. I'm a big Star Trek fan. And in the original series, uh, you know, Kirk and McCoy and Spock, they all form like the access of like one well-rounded person, right? Like you've got, oh, yeah. you've got, uh, you know, the, the, the man of action who is impulsive and will think only with his gut. Then you've got the guy who only thinks, you know, in terms of numbers and rationale. And then you've got the sort of, um, the conscience that is, you know, Dr. McCoy, who is the conscience that allows the both to exist, you know, but you put them all together and then you got one okay person, you know? And I, and I've always yep. thought that that's, an interesting thing when it comes to 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 the X Files as well, because Mulder and Scott, like they 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 make a they make a good team for a reason, right? Like we need right. both of those things. We need both of those sides of things. Yeah, and I personally just see whether it's people in the public sphere or people in my personal life, if they hitch themselves to any one dogma, you're headed towards a dead end. Usually, it's just like you want to as a curious human, you just want to leave room. And to be clear, this isn't, um, you also don't want to ignore basic science. I don't want, I, I fear I'm drifting towards the Joe Rogan. I'm just asking questions, which is a whole nother can of worms, but I'm just talking about, um, uh, a larger sense of curiosity in the world and how to organize it. I think, I think that, that, you know, we, we don't have to entirely go down the Joe Rogan route, um, I don't think. But I do, I know what you mean, right? Because, like, I'm just asking questions is a beautiful place to be at times, right? Like, we should, we if should be. If it's genuine. Yeah. And, if and it's in good faith. Good faith, right? And also, um, there's a, there's a real, there's a real big difference between leaving space for mystery and wonder and uh, ignoring, you know, uh, road signs because you don't you don't right. want to watch what speed you're driving at you know and and at any second you ignore the wrong road sign and you're dead or you've killed somebody else you know so it's like there's yeah. that but 
you know, but you know what I mean? You bring that up because, you know, seatbelts saw the same pushback that masks did in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And this and it's and it's weird to me, but this is the world we live in. And so but I, but I, but as I find myself more and more and more interested in in the paranormal or I mean, I've always been interested in the paranormal, you know, more formalizing uh i've formalized my uh, understanding of like more occult stuff you know recently you know and so the more you dig into it the more i find that like whatever you're looking at whether it's hermeticism or or you know any anything chaos magic anything we're all we're all looking for ways to language to to tell the stories that we're trying to tell about what's happening to us and and what's happening in the world, you know. Yeah. And I think that we've seen obviously a huge huge in increase in like acceptance of things like astrology or you know or these various forms of magical thinking on TikTok or wherever else and right. it's like people are like, yeah, you always see that in times of trouble, right? Like an emergence of this. Yes. And uh and that's true, right? So my thing is like, yeah, so why do we always see it in times of trouble? Like that's, it, it's it's doing something, right? It's helping somebody in some way, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it can be a way to try to, it's a way to try to figure out the world. Um, it, you know, it, they're, they're, they're means of interpretation. And again, I mean, I think, a lot of them, if you're uncomfortable with any ideas of uh, unexplainable or paranormal, you can uh, all of those things can be also explained by their ways to access your own subconscious. Yeah, and so and so those are mysterious and unusual. And wow, how did I know that? Well, it's because of the spooky, spooky way the human brain is is organized. Apparently, yeah, our brains. The subconscious is, you know, is is an interesting, and especially as somebody, you know, with your band, you know, when when you make art, you engage with your subconscious in a way that is, can be very, very tricky and sometimes very, very freaky, right? Because what comes out of you sometimes surprises you because it has an alien quality, right? I mean, does has that happened to you? Yes. I would say I used to probably write way more kind of um, uh, uh, um, what is it called uh, stream of consciousness. Then I, I I I try to stay a little more conscious or have intent nowadays. I mean, I could always go back, but but yes, I would be like, whoa, where did that come from? Or I would listen to it back a year later and be like, oh, I'm trying to. I'm obviously talking about this thing in my life that I haven't hadn't even really figured out yet. Um, and that's never scared me per se, but it's I, I find it pretty beautiful. Yeah. 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 And I think that like when one is making art, when you're writing songs, you know, uh, or anything, making movies, making TV, anything, anything that's like an artistic practice. It seems to me that most people who are involved in that become much less interested in the explanation of why that thing is happening because their relationship with its mysteriousness is integral to it, you know, and it's like part of it. It's it's you don't necessarily 
you could probably puzzle out where every idea you had came from for anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would that invalidate the thing itself? I mean, I don't I don't think so, right? Yeah. But it's not well, but it's not but it's not what we want to do, right? We don't want to explain art always, you know? One of my favorite reactions to the book that really gave me an enormous sense of relief was that it it parsed out all the details and um, unknowns about the making of Astral Weeks, but preserved its mystery. Yeah. And that was like, I was so thankful that was the case because even myself, like, you know, when I finished the book, I put it on, I said, did I ruin my favorite album? You know, and yeah. it, uh, it still, it transcended and it, uh, it still got me. So. Well, and that goes back to the Beatles, right? Like, was is watching is watching Get Back going to ruin Let It right. Be for us? And and it didn't, right? It not for me at least, not at all. I think, it, I think it deepened people's appreciation. It far deepened my appreciation of it. You know, it's still not my favorite Beatles record, but um, but regardless, right? Like, it was like this. It's it it's in the same way that like. This is the easily the going to be one of the dumbest things I've ever said on this podcast. But in the I same way wait. that like I could tell you the plot of a Fast and Furious movie, right? Yeah. I could tell you I could explain to you the plot, right? It does not really matter because until you see the car flying through the air or whatever, you know, it's like I could tell you yeah, this car flies through the air and you're like, "Okay, yes, yeah, so I can kind of imagine a car flying through the air." But it's like telling you that doesn't give you the energy, it doesn't give you a sense of it, right? So it's like yep. Like, Get Back was a perfect example of seeing, you could see the thing. The moment where Paul McCartney is absentmindedly strumming and comes up with with mm-hmm. the song, you know, um, I saw somebody, I, I, the term that got used a lot to describe that scene in things I read was demystification. And, and I, I, uh, I respect that, except I find it the exact opposite. Right. It's it it missed a, it, it it spoke even more to the ephemerality, the sort of out of the airness of it, and it's like, I think what people were talking about um, was that you see him sort of diligently just fucking around, and right. and that that's the the process by which art happens. Absolutely true. Totally agree. But there, but it's it's totally mystical to me. That scene is just about as mystical as anything I've ever seen on on TV or on a, on a screen. You know what I mean? I couldn't believe that footage existed, and it didn't end up in Michael Lindsay Hogg's initial theatrical release. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. You know what it reminded me of is like I remember when Yuri Geller would go on Johnny Carson and be like, "Well, just bend these spoons with your mind and prove everyone that you know you're legit." And he, you know, he couldn't he could not do it. It's as if he could do it. <laughs> this footage of McCartney just in front of cameraman, two of his mates who they're kind of one of them's pissed at him a little bit. And he just is able to get into that freeform headspace where yeah. that that emerged. It was so beautiful. I mean, in that scene, you see, you know, both George and Ringo just sort of like sitting there and I you get the sense that they're they're not even humoring Paul because he because he's not even doing it for them, you know, and they're not really engaging in what he's doing. They just happen to be there. Yeah. But then you see at one point both yeah. of them sort of just like, ooh, what's that? You know what I mean? Like, because all of a sudden it becomes something. And um, 
that is whether you believe that you know artists are picking up on signals or pull, I've had I've had lot you know I've had the pleasure of interviewing lots of interesting people right and and I'll talk with someone like you know like Laraji and and he's saying like yeah no I'm getting these so- these songs are being beamed to me from elsewhere right like mm-hmm. or I'm tapped into a thing and then this begins to happen once I'm tapped into it or mm-hmm. um you know, I had Joanna Brooke, uh, you know, the the late, great Joanna Brooke, whose music just means so much to me, you know, and she was like, yeah, I, I don't know, like, if you want to know where my music comes from, it's silence, and once I achieve a kind of internal silence, then I hear my music, and I just hear it, it's, our, I, I, I hear it, and then it happens, Yeah. and, um, and I find all those, those, I find that so beautiful and so interesting, right, um, and whether or not you believe that that's the case, that you are pulling things from the ether, or that there's some sort of creative, collective, unconscious, whatever you want to call it, you know? Right. Yeah. However you choose to sort of put that into terms, uh, the idea just sticks with me, right? And in that scene, it sort of felt like we were watching Paul uh, conjure something from the from the nothingness, you know? Uh, and... I don't know. I thought it was beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. It's like the world's greatest ad for creativity itself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Cause it's like, it's like can, it, yeah, yeah. People can do this. People can do this. You could do this. You right. could do this. Right. Like if you just sat around and you gave yourself permission to absentmindedly or, or I do think that's a lot. What you just said is a lot of it. I think it's, and it took me, years to get there where you have to turn off the critical part of your brain and you have to stop being embarrassed that it's going to be a little shitty at first or maybe shitty for a long while. The more of those switches you can switch down and just be like, I give myself permission to fail and just, and let out what's ever on the surface or on its way out. That's, uh, that sounds, what I just said sounds maybe easy, but it's actually quite, that's the difficulty. But once yes. you've learned that trick, I think things get a lot easier, whatever you're trying to get at. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so last year you wrote you wrote this great piece about, you know, we're, talk, we're talking a lot about the Beatles and we're talking about the way the Beatles exist in, you know, part of what I loved so much about that week on Twitter or whatever was that, that it was a reminder that, like, that the Beatles exist... Uh, this sounds so silly and cheesy, but true. I mean it genuinely. You know, it's like the Beatles exist for all of us, right? And and our idea of the Beatles mm-hmm. is a thing that we can all share. And I can have a slightly different view than you, and you can have a slightly different view than me. But it offers this sort of space. But you wrote this incredible piece about Kurt Claudio, who is the 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 guy who's in the Imagine documentary. The sort of I think you refer to him almost like a as a like looking like Kurt Cobain, which the resemblance is is there, right? Yeah. So basically, basically in the Imagine documentary, which came out in '88, there's footage from '71 where John is working on the Imagine record at his estate, the Tittenhurst estate in the UK, and uh, this American um, kind of rough-looking, you know, uh, wild-eyed person is on the property and wants to meet him and is saying crazy things like no he'll know as soon as he sees me like he's going through something and 
basically he thinks that the Beatles and John have been writing, inviting him to come meet them through his songs, basically. Mm-hmm. And the scene really resonated with me when I saw it because there was a part of me that saw myself in Claudio. Like I would yeah. never do that, but I understood where he was coming from. And I, th- and at first that worried me. And so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, because, because Claudio's clearly got some level of delusion or unhinged nature going on. But um, I was always fascinated that, you know, we live in an age where um, every minor thing can be found and can be lifted up. And certainly everyone likes to hold a magnifying glass to every corner of the Beatles myth and no one knew what happened to this guy basically john uh, tries to dispel him of the supernatural ideas and he's like i'm just writing about me and i took a good shit today like he's being kind of craft to trying to get him back on earth yeah and yeah and you know there's one part where claudio's like well when you sang like carry boy you gotta carry that weight were you thinking of somebody and john goes well paul wrote that one yeah yeah (laughs) really (laughs) and but john is is kind to him i think and he takes him inside and that's the last we ever hear of him so i wanted to figure out what happened to that fella and there was a limited amount of information online but i eventually found his brother um ernie and ernie had never spoken with a journalist and um and told me a lot and i kind of pieced together a lot of loose ends and tried to tell the story of this guy, Kurt Claudio. Um, and it was a beautiful thing to, to do. There's a, I, the, the reason I put it on medium and not, you know, in a book or, or with the publication was there's a, a documentary coming out. Yeah. Yeah. No one cared about this story to trace it down for like 20 years. And then two people did it at once, which is always the way. Very interesting. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. The doc's going to be great. Um, but I wanted to talk about because it's just such a prompt for so much i want to think about and talk about you you write in the in the uh you write in this great piece that at one point somebody was reviewing a record of yours and they cited this scene yes i mean did that just absolutely flip your lid that's why i i said okay actually i do want to because it was always in the back of my head could i figure out what happened to kurt but there was a we put an album out right before the pandemic called I'm You and a, a review, uh, Jake from Glorious Noise, specifically cited that scene in the documentary yeah. that I've been long obsessed with. And so it did blow my mind. I was, that was uh, the, t- you get the tingles and the, and so that's, that's a kind of like coincidence I will follow. Yeah. Because it's, it's interesting. It seems real and it's safe to follow. I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, so I mean, obviously, you 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 use the this piece, this 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 great exploration as a way to not only get into just sort of like you know turn over the notions of of um, the way we identify with music, the way we think about things, the way on any given day this song by this artist absolutely feels like he, he, they wrote it about me, you know? Yeah. Um, and we get into that notion of like, you know, the, the record being I'm called, I'm you, you know, it's like, yeah. we, 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 
we we identify with those songs we feel those songs because on a real kind of like basic level i mean we can skip all the metaphysics for now you know we are the same kinds of things we are both we're all people and there's far more there's far more uh in common with our various experiences than there than there is different you know like we all are experiencing variations of the same thing mm-hmm. and so when art taps into that when art gives voice to that when art gives uh shape to those feelings you know of course we identify so deeply with it you know but of course you also get into mark david chapman in this piece you know when you get into this notion that like this right. can this can take other this can take other shapes too. This can take very scary shapes. Um, right. And I just, I thought it was, I thought it was really, I thought it was really beautifully done. And I thought you, you walked that line of examining all that with just a lot of sensitivity and a lot of care and a lot of empathy. And I, I really thought it was, it was really beautiful. Uh, thank you very much, Jason. I really, really appreciate that. It was, um, yeah, I, I really took, uh, took care to, point out some uncomfortable connections but not but not overstate them right yeah but you know chapman is kind of a dark mirror side of the claudio interaction and i think one of the reasons people love john lennon's art so much is his vulnerability yeah and i think he thought he could also diffuse any danger in his regular life with the same vulnerability and it worked many times until until it didn't. Wrong, until a person a very troubled person um you know wasn't was not going to be able to be he had other plans you know and it's sad and tragic and but almost it's almost this shakespearean level of drama the fact that his vulnerability was a superpower and it's also what got him killed it's unbelievable it is it it is right yeah absolutely you yeah. talked you you used you talk about how chapman and and uh claudio both they use this term you know phony right, right. yeah uh, yeah because because to some degree you know Claudio was up against this uncomfortable realization that no, John Lennon is not me and I am not John Lennon. John Lennon's John Lennon and I'm Claudio, you know? And like, right. And despite the fact that he felt very differently and was angry after the interaction, was like, it was hurt. It, it was unsatisfactory to him, you know? Yeah. They, they both, they both, I just, it's, it's, it feels so human, right? That, that what you do when, when, Faced with the um, the disappointment of another person actually just being another person is right. just try to say like, no, they're not another person. They're actually they're they're fake. They're not they're not real, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I think about how we do that so instinctually, mm-hmm. and and yeah. So it was that was a that was kind of like a that was kind of a creepy that was kind of a creepy thing to kind of like allow into to my head, you know, because we've always culturally there's myths about the beatles you know that we understand and that hidden darkness is part of it right there seems to be i mean i make the argument in the piece that a the beatles are a myth now some Mm -hmm. of them are still alive but they're also a myth on the same level as you know the odyssey or or, you know um and the thing is people if a myth is 
if the stru- the skeletal structure of a myth is well constructed enough and big enough, you can almost hang anything on it and convince somebody that that's what it's intended to prop up. Yeah. And so um, there becomes this danger of when you put anything out in the world, you don't control what people do with it after. And so that's what I was trying to get at with the, you know, taking John up to his end of his life. Yeah. 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 Well, Ryan, it's been, it's been so great hanging out and talking with you about the Beatles. Uh, I think uh, we we should say that in just a couple days on, on April 1st. Yes. People should, should keep an eye out for a, for a, a Beatles project that, I would be doing a disservice to to talk too much about, I think. Right. We're going to keep it a little cards close to our chest here, but the piece, writing the piece about the Beatles as a myth and people um, taking myths and reinterpreting them or, or expanding them or doing interesting things with them, that got in my head. And then I went back into the musical world and worked with some friends. And yeah, on April 1st, if you go to ES Beatles, E-S-P-E-A-T-L-E-S dot com. E-S-P-E-A-T-L-E-S. Um, there's going to be uh, something that I'm very proud of uh, to help bring out into the world, and I think people will enjoy it. It's something that I've spent time with and engaged deeply with, and I and I and it's, it's an interesting magical document. It's an interesting uh, piece of esoteric lore. Um, I think that HX New Haven and his, uh, I, th- I th- you've done, yeah, this is a very cool thing. I, I can't wait for people to engage with it. Yeah, same, likewise. And uh, I appreciate you checking it out and, and talking to me about all this. It's nice to be back on the show. Oh, man, it's so great to have you. And we'll do it again. We'll do it again sometime. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much for, for being here with us on Transmissions. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for listening to Transmissions. I know we have a lot of competition for your ears on the internet. We're really honored you have opted to listen to our program today. That link again to check out what Ryan was hinting at is esptles.com. That's E-S-P-E-A-T-L-E-S.com. You can support Transmissions by checking out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. You can help support an independent media outlet and get some cool stuff in the process, some bonus audio or print zine there's more goodies over there i'm jason p woodbury i write host and produce transmissions our audio is edited by andrew horton and the show is executive produced by justin gage aquarium drunkard founder and we are part of the talk house podcast network don't miss the aquarium drunkard show hosted by justin every wednesday night at 7 p.m pst on sirius xmu all right spread the word if you dig transmissions we'll be back next wednesday with the witch starter herself. I'm joined by Meredith Graves to talk about her time at MTV News, uh, her musical work, all sorts of cool stuff. Lots of magic. So I hope you will join us. This transmission is concluded.